0: Welcome to the CL Brown show. I am your host CL Brown sports columnist with the Louisville Courier Journal. So glad you could join me so I don't just feel like I'm talking to myself during the course of this podcast to my day ones or at least my episode ones. Thanks for subscribing and returning to listen for those of you new here in this space. I hope by the end of this show every week you'll leave it both entertained and educated from interviews with guests that range from national sports figures to those with local ties. Coming up in the next half hour of the show, I have a sit-down with NC State transfer Devin Leary, who has big shoes to fill at the University of Kentucky, replacing quarterback Will Levis. But first up, let's talk Florida State, the ACC, and conference realignment in this segment of the show called CL Sounds Off. So I grew up watching NFL films back when ESPN didn't have that much programming. Late nights. you know, they would throw these on. You would see all kind of archival footage of different things. And one that stood out to me, and there's so many one-liners. It's just kind of like your favorite movie when I think about NFL films and some of the things that I still say to this day from different players, different coaches from back then, but one thing that stayed in my mind was Vince Lombardi, cameras isolated on him, the Packers defense is missing tackles and getting run through or whatever, and he's pacing back and forth on the sideline, it's like,
1: what the hell is
0: going on out there? Everybody just grabbing, 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 and I think of that this week from, from last week I should say, over all of this conference realignment, um, everybody's grabbing, They're grabbing for the bag. What the hell is going on in college sports? I mean, we've lost all sight. No matter how much they try and throw the word student athlete out there, you know, I mean, it's all a farce. And these administrators, these college administrators, are going to do whatever it takes to make the most money. I mean, this is pro sports. If you still think of college sports as being amateurism, That it's it hasn't been for a very long time, but last week should really really drive that point home in your mind when you'll have Oregon and Washington also joining the Big Ten, making these cross country trips that really don't make any sense for you know (laughs) these pack. I was gonna say these Pac-12 schools, which they still should be, but you know these schools on the West Coast to be coming east. Uh, far East, uh, not not just to the Midwest, not just to, to the Michigans of the world, but coming all the way over to Maryland. That doesn't make any sense, but whatever. That's where we're at now because the Big Ten offers more stability as a conference, but more importantly, they offer bigger revenue streams, and that's where we're at. and And my one question is really just... Florida State or any school wanting out of the ACC. Like, how much is enough? You know, how, how much? You just got a record cut of revenue, forty million dollars. Why does it have to be what the AC, the SEC is getting? Why does it have to be what the Big Ten is getting? You can't, with forty million dollars, you can't. You know, the, it, we're we're out of the facilities race now because it's more about NIL money. That's what's getting recruits to campuses. It's not about the bells and whistles, the uniform changes, all of this extra stuff that we've gotten caught up in, in college sports to get kids to campus. It's really about how much money can they make, <laughs> you know, A- along with what it's always been about playing time. And can you get me to the league, you know, at least in the, the revenue sports, uh, where where that makes sense and if money alone if revenue alone was what determined a winning program from a losing program from a mediocre program then how come Wake Forest beat the Knowles in football the past three times they played you know how come Texas A&M hasn't won a national title in football since before World War II you know Uh, Maybe instead of building these slides and football complexes and adding barbershops and recording studios, these athletic departments should be worried about bringing in people, bringing in coaches, bringing in talent who can be developed and who can win games. That's it. No bells and whistles. No worried about the Joneses. Just worried about putting forth the best product on the field or on the court that you can. And so it's kind of funny. We've seen Nebraska. We've seen Maryland make these kind of moves that were basically, you know, motivated by money, motivated by the revenue streams, and they're pretty much irrelevant. I mean, Nebraska used to be this national power it used to be, you know, that was a destination school for football and That Tommy Frazier video of him running through the Florida defense back in the 90s, that might as well be in black and white. (laughs) That was a long time ago. And since they joined the Big Ten, they've just been buried. So you have to ask yourself, do you want those copies of revenue checks replacing trophies in the display cases? Because that's that's about what you're going to get if you leave just for the simple fact of revenue distribution. So anyway, I got to keep this podcast moving because I could go on lamenting on this topic. But but I also want I want to leave on this, too. I don't want to hear any coaches or university presidents, athletic directors, whatever, et cetera, at all complaining about NIL ever again. Realignment has done considerably more to damage college sports than NIL. And I haven't heard anyone in power calling to Congress to help stop it like they have for nil to try and create some federal legislation go check episode one for that (laughs) the only checks that they want to stop are the ones going to players getting a buck 50 for signing autographs for two hours and there's something wrong with that that's enough sound off up next we're talking kentucky football I am here with Kentucky quarterback Devin Leary. Devin, thank you for being on the show. Yes, sir. Um, and welcome to Kentucky. Appreciate it. Thanks <laughs> for having me. <laughs> well, I, I want to jump right in with coming off of last year at NC State, you got injured. What was the process like of rehabbing for you? Um, and and yeah. kind of what was your lowest point there?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, a unique injury, I would say, um, i remember when it first happened you know obviously off the hit something didn't feel right um kind of got the exam next morning and you know found out i tore my pec and uh you know i remember my athletic trainer kind of saying that they'd never really seen a torn pec with a quarterback it's more so you know dn going to reach for someone and kind of gets pulled weird and you know initially you know my heart kind of sank a little bit uh kind of hearing from Dr. Andrews, one of the top doctors, you know, in the world saying that he's never seen a torn pick in a quarterback. Oh, wow. uh, so, you know, my heart kind of sank a little bit and kind of hearing a couple words and feedback of, they'd, they're not really sure when I'd be able to throw again, not really sure if I'd be able to throw the same again. And, uh, you know, in my mind, you know, I immediately just fell onto my faith. I fell, you know, onto my family um, and really just prayed hard. I mean, uh, I knew as much as I could control was every single day coming into the rehab with a positive mindset, whether it was just, you know, lifting my arm up a little bit or doing certain shrugs. But, you know, I just trust the process and very thankful for, you know, starting with NC State trainers, Justin Smith and his staff, and then coming here and Gabe at the time uh, he left and is now with the Steelers. But Evan and everyone here just really pushed me. Um, every single day now here I am today 100% and uh, thank you to Dr. Andrews as well who operated on me to you know make sure everything is smooth sailing
0: yeah did you was there a point where you felt you know because uh coach Stoops was saying that or coach Cohen was saying that you were maybe ahead of schedule like yeah. you weren't supposed to necessarily be thrown when you were thrown was there a point during that process where you felt like oh okay not that it was gonna be easy but okay I I got this. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Uh, a little bit, but it it was weird because um, you know, I, I first got told it was a six to eight month recovery for just you know a normal pec tear to recover from, but with the quarterback, it would be an additional three to four months with the throwing protocol, and I'm sitting there like, there's no way I'm gonna be out for twelve months. Like, I'm I'm not gonna let that happen. Like every single day I'm going to be grinding, I'm going to be doing extra, I'm going to figure out different ways to, you know, make sure my peck is okay. And, you know, when I decided to transfer, um, I didn't get cleared or anything to throw um, until really late February, mid-February. And, you know, I just made it a goal to myself that I'd be able to compete in spring, that I'd be able to throw in spring. And actually that first week of spring ball leading up to it, I officially got cleared to be on a pitch count, but I was able to throw. I was able to compete. And, you know, that kind of just clicked in my head that, all right, even though I'm still working this thing to get back full 100%, I could still do it. And I mean, that's just all goes out really to the man above for just blessing me with, you know, the de- determination to, you know, get back on my feet, getting back, being able to move my arm again. And, Now here I am a hundred percent. So it's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. Even within that though, one, one of the things that JJ Weaver said was that um, there was a point during practice. I think you were doing some kind of, uh, they were doing some kind of blitz scheme or something. And the way you delivered it and he was like, you put it in a tight window where, you know, the only place it could go without getting batted down or picked off or whatever. And, he was like, that's when he was like, oh, you know, we got a player. Did you feel like, did you have confidence that you were still going to be able to throw like that? Like, or, or did you feel like, okay, this is going to be incremental. I might be off my game at first.
1: I did. I mean, I honestly did. It's kind of like playing in the game, you get banged up a little bit. But, you know, in the heat of the moment when your adrenaline is going, you just fall back to your natural ability. Um, and I think the biggest thing for me, uh, just going into practice, kind of like the JJ example, you know i feel as if when i'm out there and the ball snaps there's nothing wrong and there's nothing that's ever been wrong with me but i kind of realized early on when i initially got cleared that after practice i never felt you know that type of soreness before i never felt that type of just strain in my pec where i'm like all right i'm not 100% um but when i'm on the field i feel as if you know nothing ever happened i'm i'm back good as new 100% but, you know, early on into the spring phase, I had to realize, OK, clearly I, I, I had a major injury that I had to get operated on after practice. I really needed to grind the rehab to make sure that where I am today, I could truly be 100 percent, Yeah, which I am. So uh,
0: take me through the process
1: of transferring.
0: Okay. And first, let's start with how much did you consider staying at NC State?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it was a really, really tough process. Um, I did consider staying at NC State. Um, and I could honestly say, you know, after I got injured, uh, my mindset kind of shifted a little bit to preparing for the next level. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a six-year guy now, um, and that was – last year was my fifth year. So, you know, originally going into that season, I wanted to put back-to-back seasons together and being able to declare – um and you know when i got hurt you know i was kind of just like all right that's it like time to go on to the next level um but like i was saying because of the injury i had the feedback i was receiving from experts and doctors was they didn't know if i'd be able to throw for a combine or they didn't know if i'd be able to throw for a pro day so that made me once again fall back on my faith and my family of all right well i don't want to you know go out like this and be an NFL prospect with all these coaches not being able to see me throw, I feel as if personally I owe it to myself to have that opportunity, to be able to put my best foot forward if I want to advance to the next level. And, you know, just kind of talking to my family and just people I truly trusted, I felt like a fresh start was best for me. Um, And I just felt like being able to develop in an NFL system, being able to develop around a guy like Coach Stoops and a guy like Coach Cohen, Will not only help the team, but you know, help myself develop as an NFL player of what I want to be.
0: You're, you're actually answering questions that I have, really, <laughs> without even knowing it in advance. So, just just to clarify, though did you did you officially get NFL input into the decision? Like, did you kind of just see what what are your th- you know what are their thoughts on you?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I knew going into 2022, um, just talking to some, you know, NFL guys and people around the league, my stock was pretty high up. Um, and, you know, throughout when I got injured, um, and kind of the word got out of what my injury was, when I'd be able to return and hearing from, you know, doctors of, they're not really sure how I'm going to return or when I would, my stock kind of fell. Um, and, you know, I started getting word uh, week by week that, you know, it was kind of falling under the radar because, I mean, obviously credit to all these coaches, why would you draft someone, especially a quarterback, without seeing them throw? And that was a big thing for me was, you know, I had to see from their perspective, looking at a player like myself in my situation. And like I said, I wanted to owe it to myself to put my best foot forward of being able to throw and being able to have that pro day and combine.
0: Yeah. So – Working with uh, Coach Cohen specifically, yeah. given his NFL background and given that the best season that Will Levis had was when Cohen was here as, as OC, um, how much of that appeal, you know, was why you ended up
1: in Lexington? Yeah, I mean, obviously having Coach Cohen here is, like Will was kind of telling me through the transfer portal, is a quarterback stream. I mean, he's a guy that, knows what it's like to operate at a high level. He's been around Jarrett Goff, Matt Stafford. He's played the position. He's had, a, I mean, he's broke tons of records when he was in college. So he knows what it's like to see from our point of view and being able to sit in on these meetings with him as a player with the offense coordinator from that perspective makes me that much better of a player. But at the same time, it makes me want to strive for greatness because like I said, he's seen it at a high level and I'm able to sit in the room and watch clips of Matt Stafford and seeing how he's operating. But Coach Cohen was right there with him and kind of understanding the behind the scenes of why he's operating this way or how he got to a certain throw. And now being able to have that resource with him is just, you know, making me strive every single day to be better than Matt Stafford, be better than Jared Goff, just because, I mean, that's the standard. That's what he's been around. And, you know, every quarterback, every athlete, every competitor, They want to exceed that standard and set a new standard. And that's my goal with Coach Cohen every single day. So you kind of answered it again, but
0: (laughs) uh, I think I know where this is going. But replacing Will Levis, like Mm -hmm. what in terms of the expectations people have, like, People think you're just going to plug right in and it's going to be another NFL level quarterback mm-hmm. leading this offense and leading this team. So uh, how, what what do you feel yeah. in terms of those expectations?
1: Man, I think everyone's journey is different. I think everyone's journey is different. I think each and every year, whether you're a new guy transferring in or returning starter, I mean, once that ball is snapped, It's a whole new season it's a whole new team and i think like i said everyone's journey is different will had great success coming in from penn state doing his thing and now he's on to the next level that was his journey my journey is similar in the process of transferring and coming in as a quarterback as well but now it's my job to put my head down go to work and make my own story and you know i had i know he's had great success here i have a great relationship with will and i just think each and every year is a new team And I just think, you know, whenever that ball is snapped each and every week, you're going to prove yourself as now the 2023 Kentucky football team.
0: Speaking of putting your head down, it's my understanding you didn't want to go to the SEC media day because you didn't want – you hadn't felt like you earned it yet. Like you hadn't been with this team and this program long enough to go – what has been your approach to, because naturally quarterback is a leadership position, yeah. So, but you're coming in as a transfer. What, what has kind of been your approach to not wanting to step on toes, but still being assertive enough, you know, to, to lead?
1: Yeah, well, first starting with the SEC media day, um, it was kind of brought up to me um, a little bit after spring of the possibility of me going. Um, you know, Coach and Slacks were asking if that's something that I wanted to do. And you know, I remember just actually having a conversation with Eli Cox when I first got here, and he was saying how cool it was, how cool the, the SEC Media Day was. And you know, he's a guy that's been here. He's a guy that's put in the work. Um, he's a multiple year starter. And even guys like Ox, JJ, you know, they helped build this culture. They've helped build this program. You know, me, of course, it would be an awesome opportunity, and I would love to represent Kentucky at the sec media day but i'm also the type of guy to have the perspective of these guys have been here too and these guys have been in leadership roles as well and they've elevated this program so i kind of in a sense took the back seat of let these guys go because they're awesome leaders they're awesome players as well i just got here let me continue to grind let me continue to work earn the respect of my teammates and i've done that i truly believe that um And that truly just starts being in the film room, being in the weight room, being in the training room, being able to be healthy for my teammates. And, you know, it was awesome seeing those guys at the media day take cool pictures. And I was able to talk to them when they got back, just seeing how it was. And, you know, I was very happy for them. But, you know, for me, it's every single day just going one day, winning the day. And that's that's my biggest thing is just earning the respect of my teammates and, you know, now just continue to challenge them to elevate.
0: Yeah, how much do you look forward to the challenge of now playing in the SEC? Which you know we always hear the hype every year about how much of a grind it is and how great of a conference it is. I personally think the ACC has—it's not like it's—it's a slouch (laughs) of of a league, you know. It's not, but um, just what what are your thoughts on you know playing playing in the SEC now?
1: Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, I I always. I'm able to turn on the film and watch teams like, you know, Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Georgia. I had an opportunity in 2021 to play at Mississippi State, so I got a kind of feel for what SEC football was about. But I mean, just like in any league, every single week you got to bring your A game because regardless if you're playing the top team in the conference or the bottom team, they're coming to knock your head off. And, you know, i kind of learned that at an early age, being able to play as a redshirt freshman, and you know, now regardless of. What league anyone plays in, I'm trying to have that mindset of every single day, every single week, you got to bring your A game because if not, you will be exposed. Have you, have you, I mean, this is looking ahead, but have you thought about
0: Nick Saban is going to be in a room saying we got to do something to Devin Larry? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds, I mean, cool that's what me. you want
1: though. <laughs> that's what you want as a player. I mean, you want to be able to be that guy that. Coaches have to scheme around. You want to be that guy that, you know, stands out a little bit on film. And, you know, everyone always says the eye in the sky doesn't lie. And, you know, my goal each and every week and just starting in practice is I want to put really good habits and really good performance on film every single play. And uh, I think that week will be pretty fun, too, because um, my little brother plays quarterback at University of Illinois. He's a fresh redshirt freshman. His best friend in high school is – I'm not sure if he's going to be starting at Alabama or not, but his name is Jihad Campbell. Um, Big-time recruit, plays kind of like an edge outside backer. So I just know, speaking of like your example of Nick Saban, I just can't wait for that to see Jihad and to see how well he's doing too. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool. It would be a cool moment for me. So uh,
0: speaking of scheme, how – are there – any similarities, is it comparable with what you're doing here and what you've been doing, uh, what you did at NC State?
1: A little bit. I think every offense in certain terms, there's similar terminology. There's similar schemes. But, you know, this is a true pro-style type of West Coast offense, I would say. Um, you know, this is truly my first time taking snaps under center and doing play action stuff from there. Um but you know we have the ability to go fast too we have the ability to run tempo which is what i'm used to at nc state um and fortunately you know throughout my career at nc state i had uh, three different offensive coordinators so this is now my fourth with coach cohen and you know it's cool to learn i think it's really cool to develop into these offenses and just really learn the system but you could tell this one out of all the offenses i've been in the past translates most to the next level and uh, just being able to learn from Coach Cohen has helped not only me but our whole offense.
0: Yeah, what's well, probably been the biggest
1: challenge about learning that system and
0: you know, yeah making those changes?
1: Um, I would just say, like I said, the terminology, being able to call plays in the huddle, being able to operate with a verbal cadence under center, um, and really just making sure we have the right shifts, the right motions, the right formation sets, um, because this offense, you know, stems from uh, Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings, and I mean, you watch them, you turn on film, they're motioning, moving guys all over the place. And that's a little bit of what we do here. So it's my job to really, you know, orchestrate the offense and make sure that everything's set in place.
0: You mentioned outside a second ago uh, with the media scrum. You, you said the phrase something about that. That's not what UK football was about. Yeah. <laughs> what is UK football all about? You just got yeah. here, right?
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm more so saying... um, hearing from coach Stoops and just hearing from guys that have started last year, um, we want to respond better from a loss. We want to respond. Obviously you don't want to lose. You want to win each and every week, but when adversity hits, we want to do a better job of staying, you know, tight and making sure that we respond the white, the right way and not making sure that, you know, one loss doesn't turn into two, three, four. And, um, you know, that's something that UK has always been about. And I, I just think I remember watching uh, we played Kentucky in a bowl game in 2020, the Tax Slayer Bowl. I was injured at the time, but, you know, I just remember they were super physical. Um, they they developed the run game instantly in the, the start of the game. You know, guys up front were hitting and there was no letdown, regardless of what the score was, because NC State was up at one time and then Kentucky came back and it just felt like, regardless of what the score was, each and every drive, you were going to get the best Kentucky. And, you know, just talking to some coaches last year, you know, just like any team, there's always ups and downs. And when adversity hits, we need guys to step up and make sure that we're staying at that even kill level. And that's what I was referring to of getting back to Kentucky football and making sure regardless of what happens on one play, the next play is the only one that matters.
0: Yeah. And lastly, I'll let you go on this. What were what your observations coming from the triangle? Yeah. NC State, Carolina, Duke rivalry, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, th- I think think people don't realize Duke and NC State, that, that rivalry is. Yeah, a little bit. You know, yeah. That, yeah. There's something there, too. Coming here and, you know, UK, Louisville rivalry. You kind of throw in Indiana not so much anymore, but mm-hmm. historically, but are there do you see some kind of similarities in, in between the two areas? A little
1: bit, I think a little bit. Um, you know, I think when I was at NC State, it was unique with the triangle. Um, I think that was like a really, really cool opportunity just being in with you know NC State, UNC Duke, and then really East Carolina wasn't very far. Wake Forest isn't very far. Where, you know, here, I remember my visit, you get off the plane and you're at the Bluegrass Airport, everything's Kentucky. You go to the mall here, everyone's wearing Kentucky. And it's, like, different from being in Raleigh because you have your Duke fans, you got your NC State, UNC. It's kind of scattered where you step in Lexington and it's all Kentucky. (laughs) And I think that, like, goes to say a lot about our fan base because, you know, they're truly passionate, um, not just in Lexington, but all throughout Kentucky. And... I think the true rivalry, rivalry comes when we play Louisville at the end of the season and you truly see the, the clash of fans and the clash of teams where that's like the true primary schools in the state compared to being in North Carolina. There's so many different schools. Yeah, you got a lot of red gear though. Yeah. I got a ton. <laughs> I got, got a ton. Box yeah, I have a ton of red. I had to give a lot of it away to my cousins <laughs> and everything, but no, I'm no. rocking all blue now.
0: Well, I definitely appreciate your time today yes, sir. and uh, good luck to you this
1: season. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Just one last note on Devin Leary, his third year at NC State, he passed for more than 3,400 yards, had 35 touchdowns and only five interceptions. That was the last season he played, you know, the entire season. Of course, he got hurt last year. Um, I think it was in the sixth game of the year. And, you know, didn't play the rest of the way. So if UK can keep him healthy and upright, the Cats could be headed for a great year. That'll do it for this episode of the C.L. Brown Show. Please click on those subscribe buttons and leave a five-star review because we have enough hate in this world. Spread some love, please. (laughs) You can read my work at wwwcurrier journalcom Or just hang tight and catch me next week on the podcast. Thanks for listening.